0: Welcome to the New Zealand China Council podcast. I'm Rachel Bademont, the Executive Director of the Council. This podcast focuses on international education, and I was delighted to speak with a great panel, including Professor Jenny Dixon, Deputy Vice-Chancellor in charge of strategic engagement at the University of Auckland, and Council members Derek McCormack, Vice-Chancellor at AUT and Chair of Universities New Zealand, and Danny Chan, co-founder of ACG and current director of UP Education. I asked the panel what impact COVID had had on their institutions. And given that UP Education provides pathway courses into the universities, I started with Danny.
1: I guess you you can say that we are at the beginning of the line. And um, as for the uh, impact this year, it's um, in terms of um, revenue, it's um, more than 50% down. We're lucky enough that some students actually came before the lockdown. And then uh, in terms of number of new students, uh, probably down more than 90%. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a major impact on us. And looking at next year is going to be um, the probably the uh, even more negative impact.
0: So in terms of next year, you mean, so you think that we won't be open and ready for business next year?
1: Yes, because uh, currently we are doing quite a bit online teaching, and uh, surprisingly, that's quite a large number of students actually decided to do online and with the hope that they could come here um, say at the beginning of next year so that's um but if the lockdown going to uh, carry on for much longer then they may look for elsewhere or they may decide not to come at all.
0: So you had to pivot very quickly uh, and deliver that online? Yes,
1: Yeah. fortunately for us that um, um, Back in the um, SARS days, we actually developed some online programs, uh, but didn't have to deliver them. So we already had something in place, so it was quite good that uh, we can actually basically refresh those um, online programs.
0: Interesting. Mm. And had you found that because of New Zealand's um, response, that in terms of the online pickup and online delivery of those courses, that those numbers benefited from that?
1: Oh yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely.
0: Hmm. Okay, so just moving to you, Derek, mm. how did it impact on your institution?
2: Uh, not as much as we originally thought. The shutdown to China entry into New Zealand happened just, you know, maybe a week too early for us, and so around about 400 Chinese students didn't make it that had enrolled. We managed to keep most of those with online provision. Um, we have a second. Uh, intake in the middle of the year for the second semester and of course all international students were affected by that so we lost about another 200 Fs there. Many of the students that enrol in that are already in country, they might have been doing Danny's course or other courses elsewhere Um, and so we didn't lose all of them but we lost about half of the ones that we would have expected to come in the second semester so about 400 Fs which is around about, roughly in the order, if you add everything up, the total financial impact is about $20 million out of you know, our budget of 450. So not a major disaster this year, but looking to next year, uh, we think that we'll be losing, potentially, unless we have other strategies, we potentially lose about 40% of our um, total X, because they will be the pipeline we've lost this year, plus the intake. And while most students come to do a multi-year degree, most be doing a three or four year degree. um, We have a lot of postgraduate students who do these one year professional masters. So like they're only coming in for a year. So if you don't get them, then they're not there. So we could lose up to 40% of our international students if we don't have alternative strategies. One of the things that we've noticed is that our applications for entry to Study in New Zealand has skyrocketed, and I think that's partly because of the reputation New Zealand has of being a safe island for COVID. But of course, that's no good to us if you can't come into the country. Um, so you're not going to be any safer doing it online from you know wherever. Um, you've got to actually be here to enjoy the the safe uh, environment with respect to the pandemic. But of course, part of the safety. Is the fact that we've closed our borders so we're in a bit of a quandary about you know, as a country how do we deal with that.
0: And uh, Jenny what have you been seeing from Auckland University?
3: A very similar increase in, in, in significant interest for next year as Derek mm. has been saying but of course the real challenge is actually being able to get the students here but I might just uh, just mention briefly that at the beginning of the year our international students uh, from China were at an all-time high we had anticipated 4,000 joining us uh, for semester one. Now 2,000 of those students were already in New Zealand, but a further 2,000 were in China when the border closed. And 1,000 of these students chose to study online, and while the other 1,000 chose to defer. So, and then of course, we moved on to this semester, and we have about, we, have, we continue to have around 1,000 online. And what we have done, we've set up Two learning centres with uh, two very close partners, Southwest uh, University and North East Forestry University. So that has enabled other t- students in mainland China an opportunity to relocate to those campuses. Mm. We, of course, continue to teach them online from here, but they do get to have an on campus experience with some local tutoring. And we've got around 350 students who have signed up for that.
0: So, um, sort of any other mitigation strategies that you've been seeing come into play over this period?
1: Uh, apart from online loo- uh, teaching, I think one of the things that we've been thinking about is actually to set up um, schools in China. Right. For us, it's relatively easy because um, we only teach a, sort of a, a, probably a half dozen subjects that are relevant for them to come to study in New Zealand universities. So, we, we're going to probably use both online and actually. Um, setting up uh, schools back there
0: cool. So Danny that's interesting and obviously uh, in-country provision of courses is something that New Zealand has traditionally lagged behind its main competitors, So this is something that obviously Australia and uh, other countries have been doing for quite some time but New Zealand hasn't been so quick to do What sort of impact do you think that that could have?
1: I don't think that um, it's going to uh, make too much difference to us because even though we didn't have those um, before, other countries have them, uh, given that the number of students coming wanting to come to New Zealand that we actually didn't need to do those. But it's not hard for us to catch up on what they're doing, actually. Mm. I mean, for example, online learning, we, we did that within sort of a month.
0: How much is New Zealand's environment? I guess that will be even more important post-COVID, and whilst... Sort of other institutions have set up either in country, or we have seen this rise in institutions setting up in Southeast Asia. Malaysia, for example, is doing a lot to attract international education uh, providers to set up there. Do you think that that trend will continue?
1: Oh, it will continue, but then New Zealand will continue to be a very attractive um, country to come to. And given that, uh, I think going to be very few, if any, wanting to go to US. <laughs> or UK for that matter. So, and in Australia this is a little bit uh, testy at the moment with China. So New Zealand's seen as a, a very um, ideal place to come. And that's why Derek's experience a skyrocketing sort of application. And we also experience that and um, you know, we, we have a big increase in number of inquiries and asking for application forms.
2: We're we're also looking at um, setting up tutor centres or study centres, but I don't think that's that's an interim arrangement. Looking at the benefit of international education, you could look at it from the benefit of you know the financial impact, but there's a lot more to it than that. So bringing students to New Zealand, having them experience life in New Zealand, being in the university with New Zealanders and people from other countries, that's the real benefit to New Zealand because they go away with connections and affections for this place, which they're not going to get online or studying at a study centre in Shanghai. So it's a good interim arrangement. It's better than just being online. But what we're doing is we're putting things online and having some options to study in centres around the world. But the aim of that is to keep the students connected to us so that we can bring them to New Zealand, rather than move to you know in-country provision, which I think has got a lot of problems and a lot of Australian universities that are doing this find that you know it doesn't give them the great benefits that they thought.
0: And Jenny, I mean, I know that you've got some views on
3: the broader benefit that students bring. What have you seen from your perspective? Yes, I think the, the important thing is that this, the, inter, the international students want to come to experience an education in New Zealand. So I think at the moment, I mean, there's no alternative if they wish to continue studying online, that's what they'll need to do, and I suspect that that will undoubtedly continue into next year, but ultimately they want to come to New Zealand to get that experience, and we want them to come as well, because it's, it's really important, I think, for us to recognise that we're not just talking about economic reasons for having international students, Uh, And and to talk about it in those terms, I think, is to really shortchange the whole nature of why we have international students. So they bring contributions to our research, our innovation ecosystems, our businesses. And as Derek mentioned, of course, they go home as lifelong ambassadors. But they also uh, become friends, colleagues, classmates, and they bring their diversity, their courage and their talents to us.
2: Universities today in the modern world, if they're going to be successful, have to be international, strongly international, and the University of Auckland is a classic example of that, with very strong international links, so any university that wants to be the best university can be, needs a very big international component for all of the reasons Jenny mentioned, so this lack of access to international students is very damaging to the quality of university that we're offering to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think that, you know, if we kept the international students out, it'd be better for New Zealand students because more of them could go. Wrong. Mm -hmm. We can take more domestic students because we have international students. We can provide better quality, better facilities, better teaching, better teachers, better academics, better research because we've got international students. So with international students, and lots of them come from China, we provide much better universities for New Zealand and much better profile in the world for New Zealand through our universities. So it's absolutely essential that we can bring international students, I'm sure.
1: The other thing that, um, just following what Jenny said, they actually raise our standard of uh, education. Now I remember that a few years back when we first started international students, bring them to New Zealand, and Sir John Graham made a comment that, well, we'll give the local boys a um, run for their money. Mm-hmm. because the." Chinese students, uh, as you know, they're very strong on maths and very strong on uh, on the uh, science subjects.
0: That's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I think that brings us to a point. I was speaking with Rodney Jones, the economist, and he was talking about how we should take this opportunity to try and get the very best students that can contribute to our tertiary institutes. So mm-hmm. his concept was, let's go now and try and get those students that are destined for Harvard, Stanford, etc and say, come here and study for a few years and then move on to do higher education yeah. in other places. What do you think Yeah, funny that, that because
1: we actually offer scholarship to some really bright students coming here to come and do the uh, foundation study program. And that's the very reason you know, why we did not Because you try yeah. and, and uh, reach them. Early. That's right, yeah, encourage it, but those are brighter students that come here.
2: And we do have a bit of an opportunity that we might not have had if the borders around the world were open, some of the students that have come to our prestigious secondary schools, they often don't go to a university in New Zealand. They'll go to Imperial College or Harvard or National University of Singapore or some other place. That's going to be harder for them now and so we may have a chance to recruit some of those very good students that have had other destinations in their sights, but that's going to be blocked off for them. Yes, and mm. I might just
3: say that we have a number of New Zealand students who choose to go yep. abroad for their university education and don't do just stay, stay here, and of course mm. they won't be moving at the moment. I mean, we have many, we have mm. quite a number of students who go to Australian universities and further afield, of course, mm. so I think there are, there are opportunities. That's really fascinating. So we've got an opportunity to
0: keep the best students mm. and also perhaps attract the best students, mm. uh, but, you know, how can you see this happening? What do you think the universities have to do to give the government confidence and to get social license from the community to start bringing students back in and how ready are you to do this?
2: Well the first thing we've got to do is get through the election because I think everybody, Mm -hmm. every politician is a bit shy about talking about anything that brings people across the border at the moment. Mm -hmm. So after the election I think we have a a better go at this. I think all of the universities that, and through Universities New Zealand we get to talk to each other, All the universities have got very good possibilities for quarantine students. And we did this, perhaps not as strict a way, but we did this for the students that stay with us in lockdown in our hostels, and that was handled very well by every university. We've demonstrated better than anybody that we can do this. International students aren't a quarantine risk, like entitled Kiwis coming back thinking that they should be allowed to do whatever they like, you know, they're going to obey the rules. and also. We don't need to have them in quarantine sitting around doing nothing. We can be teaching them while they're in quarantine so they can start their course in quarantine and continue on so they're not wasting their time. Um, So I think we've got a very good chance of managing uh, extremely well both the re-entry of international students and the safety um, for New Zealanders with respect to the COVID pandemic.
3: Yes, I think the elect, frankly the election can't come soon enough because I think it's really holding up innovative thinking around how we're going to reopen our borders. I mean we have to do it obviously, to, we've got to take the public with us, and there's no question that public health is our priority, but as Derek said, we don't believe our international students are at risk, they're not going to, to take off as some of our New Zealand citizens have done when they've been in quarantine. I think probably some small pilots would be really good, bring in some groups just to, and and to run them through small programmes, just uh, quarantine programmes, just to see how it would work. The sooner we can get on with that, the better, because of course we are facing the prospect of semester one next year and um, we're going to have some very significant pipeline problems if we can't get significant numbers back, students back with us at the beginning of next year. So in terms
0: of the recent announcement by the government that they're going to contribute about 50 million uh, funding to help buffer losses, I understand that that doesn't directly apply to the tertiary sector, but what impact do you think that will have for the broader sector?
3: Yes, well, As you said, it's, it's little direct um, impact for the tertiary sector, although they do provide $10 million to assist offshore delivery, which universities may well be able to access. But the important thing is the funding for schools and Eng- English language schools, because those schools have been hard hit by the reduction in international student fees, as we know and of course it's important that the standard of support that those schools offer continues to be delivered to their remaining students for english language schools the package provides a level of support to keep them open to support those students and enable them to at least perhaps continue until the border opens and the important thing here is that many of those students of course do go on to join universities so from that point of view it's it's something that we're really keen to support the other um point I would just like to make is that there are funds that have been allocated to Education New Zealand to continue to keep the New Zealand brand alive in market. And I would just like to make that point. That once you are out of market, it takes a lot longer to get back into market. So that's the thing that we're probably worrying about most in terms of those people who are concerned around international recruitment. So that's good to see that. And of course, it's also useful to think that we could use some of those funds for exploring how we might be able to deliver a better quality education experience to those students who are currently
2: offshore. I think it was an important signal that was given, even though universities don't really mm-hmm. get anything out of it. And the signal was that we want to maintain the capacity for quality international education. And that means that the government of the day, that means that there is a commitment to bringing students back because they want to keep all of the capacity there to enable that. But, um, so that signal, I think, was a positive thing.
1: And I think the um, English school, that's interesting, because that's basically the front end of the pipeline.
3: That's
1: right. Yeah, yeah. So it's very
0: important to keep the pipeline going, and I think, Mm -hmm. um, Jenny, you made a really interesting point there about Education New Zealand, and the importance of uh, keeping that marketing going uh, in China over this period, and I think... It's like uh, Grant Robertson often says, the economy is like an oven that you, you need to keep warm, and certainly marketing offshore, as we noted earlier, it's extremely competitive marketing in China, and no matter what is happening at the political level with the US and Australia, for example, I know from my time in Guangzhou, still are investing a lot on the ground in terms of attracting
2: those students. Just like one comment on Grant Robertson's, you know, the economy is like an oven, you Gotta keep it warm, but you know, unlike an oven, you won't keep it warm for long by keeping the door shut. We need to open the door in New Zealand if we want the economy to keep warm.
3: So in in terms of Education New Zealand, keeping the market going, that's absolutely vital for us because the longer we're actually out of market, the longer it's gonna take to get back into market. And if you're not there, people forget about you. And we just cannot underestimate the resources that other countries like Australia, Canada and and so on have at their disposal to be very active and aggressive recruiters. So we need to be able to capitalise on the current opportunities that we have now with the the way that we've actually managed COVID. Uh, We know there's huge interest, so we really do want to build on that and see how we can best use that to assist the development of our education programmes here.
0: So in terms of actually bringing students across the border, there are obviously different innovative technologies that can be used to do that. And Danny, I understand that um, you have some thoughts and ideas around that.
1: Yeah, you basically need to test the students. And then the, if they're negative, then there's no, no reason why they can't come in. And of course, the testing got to be um, uh, accurate, got to be fast, and got to be reasonably cheap. So we actually have been working on that, and uh, um, hopefully we can bring the uh, testing time down to under 15 minutes.
0: Mm, so when you say that you've been working on that, who who has been working on uh, that?
1: One of the other companies involved is called MicroChem.
0: Right, yeah, yeah, so I mean obviously a super fast test would make a huge difference. Yes. Uh, which could be applied both at the border and That's right, throughout yeah. the mm. process. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. On the spot result.
0: Have you seen any other innovative or crazy ideas out there in terms of dealing with this issue of re-entry?
3: I mean, I think there's lots of ideas that have been floated and we're all, we're all rather desperate to see possibilities that are going to enable us to actually increase our capacity to bring people into the country. And that's not just facing universities, it's not just international students, it's staff that we've, we've appointed uh, more broadly, of course, many, many different businesses in, in the country have got issues. We have heard the suggestion of cruise ships, for students, and that's possibly problematic unless we could be absolutely confident that you could manage COVID. But I think all the universities have got options in terms of using hostel accommodation and making sure it's pretty safe. I think we would just simply relish the chance to get on and and really start trialing out some of these measures.
2: And it's not just important for the universities, it's important for our country. And I was at an event last night with the Committee for Auckland, and we were talking about how do we restart Auckland after COVID and there's so many businesses that are flagging in the centre of the city. Bringing international students in does a lot for the centre of Auckland because they live here, they gravitate towards the centre, most of them come from big cities, Um, they like to be in the urban um, high-rise environment and so bringing students back keeps our city going and they add vibrancy and youth and all sorts of good things to the city. It's not just good for the university, they spend nearly as much elsewhere as they do with the university and their tuition fees. So like a student doing a three-year degree, that's $100,000 or more um, and they're going to spend $100,000 or more out in the community, in businesses, eateries, all sorts of places. So we need the students back, not just for the universities, but for our city, for our country.
3: And there's a fundamental kind of misconception. that the view that stu- that international students take jobs from other New Zealand students. In fact, they create jobs. And I think that, that, is, that has become so evident from looking at, at uh, the downtown Auckland and, and Wellington, when you, see, you, you start to realise the absence of the students. And that, I think, is something that we need to really get across much more effectively to the New Zealand public in terms of social licence and getting people to understand that, in fact, benefits of, of students in helping others to actually work in the hospitality area, accommodation, all sorts of things. And it's part of that general kind of richness of culture that I think is so important for this country. We, we cannot risk going backwards at becoming very isolated in our outlook when in fact we're very much a global training nation and we absolutely need to continue. Those international links are absolutely vital for the country and our progress.
0: What do you think about this discussion now that's evolving around whether international students should be able to work and study? And, you know, what percentage of students actually do work and study?
3: Look, one of the things that we absolutely have to get pretty serious about here is that if we want to compete with other countries for international students, we absolutely have to offer them rights to work while they study. That's one of the reasons that they, when they look at destinations, They look at are they going to be able to supplement their funding through work? And that's true both in study and post study. Now, we have one of the best work rights policies um, in the world. Uh, We worked hard to achieve that. And I'm very concerned about people talking about really wanting to pull back from that because that will undoubtedly reduce the attractiveness of New Zealand as a country. Now, there's no use saying that, oh, the fact that we're a safe, from COVID country will bring students here, that's one reason why they'll come. But if we're not going to actually do other things such as offering work-right policy for them, they will really think twice about coming here. So we've got to be quite sensible about what we might do and realise the implications of start changing our immigration settings again.
2: No matter whether students work or not, not all of them do when they come, but they are still net contributors. So the money they bring in is way more than the money they'll take out in a job. And that money goes into the economy, it goes around. It's a high value export industry um, education. It supports high value jobs, it will spin off. There's jobs outside the education sector that are paid for by the people who work in the education sector and also by the students that come here. So they're net contributors um, with a very big margin, even if they do work. So I don't think, you know, if you do the, the dollar balance, and New Zealand wins every time.
3: Uh, perhaps we need to do a better selling job mm. on this, but certainly, I mean, many, and not all international students want to stay here. Most of them go home. It's amazing, right, it. yeah. but there are some who stay, and they stay and they join. They become part of our research and innovation ecosystem, and they create startups and they bring real benefit to the economy. Now, there's some very interesting international data actually on the value of overseas students and what they actually bring. To uh, local economies, and so I think we've got to be, we do have to be quite sensitive about this in terms of understanding the role that these young people play, and you know New Zealand needs high quality migrants to build the jobs because we don't actually have enough local people to do that. Many of our people go abroad. We need to bring people in from abroad. That is not going to change. If we and certainly we know that we actually want we need to improve our productivity. Uh, We need to really become much more high-tech in what we do and reduce our reliance on on agricultural commodities. International students staying on, becoming part and parcel of this country is really very much to be um, applauded.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I can't agree with you more, Jenny, on that. Um, They create jobs and they create businesses. And both of them contribute to the growth of the economy. That's it.
2: And the ones that stay on, which are sort of somewhere in less than 20% but of all the international students, they're great immigrants to have. They're young, they're qualified, they're good with English, they have Engla- uh, New Zealand friends. They're best sort of immigrants you could get, so it's a great way of bringing in immigrants. And New Zealand, for its whole history, has relied on immigrants coming to add, uh, and they've come from all over the place.
0: So just finishing off, what do you feel like you need uh, in order to ensure that your institutions can keep growing and keep benefiting from international students and perhaps even be able to use COVID as an opportunity?
2: Well, I think it would be good to have some decisions from government and government agencies. As Jenny said, the election can't come soon enough, so people could start saying, this is what we need you to do. That would be the first thing.
1: You know, obviously open up the border that, that's the key to the question is when you know. and of course we need to be
3: able to start bringing in groups of students but can I also say we've got staff we need to bring in, we've got people right. in all sorts of unusual situations, they can't get back to New Zealand, we have appointed staff who can't come to New Zealand so we're going to you know we really do need to sort of look at, at how can we start to open our borders safely to start bringing in both staff and students, because as we said at the beginning, universities are absolutely international by their nature and that is not going to change. And it's just critical that we can actually restart our international engagements in ways that's going to enhance the value of what we offer to the community. I might just, just make one very small example that I think what we saw in COVID was how our New Zealand scientists contributed to our understanding of COVID. They drew on their leading edge international knowledge to inform government and the public about how, how to understand the virus and actually how to protect ourselves. That's because we are international and we, it's absolutely vital that that continues.
0: Many thanks to the panel for an interesting discussion on a sector that brings benefits for our economy and also helps build strong people-to-people links. For more podcasts, please see our website, newzealandchinacouncil.org.nz or find us on iTunes, Spotify or SoundCloud. Thanks for listening.